for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick Kimmins. I'm the pastor here with Chris. We are continuing our series today on miracles. Uh, so if you haven't been around, a very quick recap for you. Laura launched our series talking about Jairus' daughter, and she was talking about how we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus rather than listen to the crowd. The crowd around us will tell us all this stuff, like it won't work, don't bother, it's not going to, you know, it's hopeless, but we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then Chris Tatton did a fantastic talk where he told the story of the 10 lepers. And he really encouraged us that not to fix our faith on what we see in front of us there and then. Sometimes the miracle happens as people go. Sometimes there's things happening from our prayers that are launched out of our prayers that we might not ever even see or be able to celebrate. But it doesn't mean nothing's happening. And then uh, the lovely and handsome Chris Kimmons last week did a talk all about storms. And what's brilliant is that the thing most people have talked to me about after last week's talk is my carpet after my spaghetti bolognese landed upside down on the cream carpet. I'm sure there was some real spiritual meat in there as well. Um, But he talked about the fact that we are called to know the authority we have to calm storms in our lives. That's what we are called to know. And when we know who our dad is, we can see storms around us and we can rest in those storms because we know what our dad is like. And so the reason we're doing this series on miracles is because these stories aren't just for information. Like we, if you want to read a story, you can do that at home on your own. You don't need to come here for this. You know, it's not about information. It's about an invitation. These stories invite us into something. They invite us to into an opportunity to see this stuff happen in our own lives. They're not just meant to be twee stories that we listen to, that we remember from Sunday school. They're meant to transform us and invite us into something else. And that's what I'm hoping we'll see today as well. So we are going to be looking at a story in Mark, which is a book in the Bible that talks all about the life of Jesus. And Mark chapter 2 is a story some of you may know if you've been around church a while or grew up in Sunday school or school assemblies. And it's the story where um, some friends carry a paralyzed man to Jesus and then they lower him through the roof to get to Jesus so he can pray for him. And we're going to read that now. But just before we do, I want to just lay out my stool at the beginning this morning and tell you what the purpose of this talk is today. Something I am learning all the time, and I haven't learned it yet by way, is that we need to shift our focus away from the results mentality, the pressure to get results or the pressure to perform miracles. And instead, what would it look like if we focused our energy on loving the person in front of us? Like, you could, you could all go home. Like, that's basically what I want to get at today is if we took all the pressure of results and performing miracles off and we just loved the person in front of us and we did that actively, what would that look like in our community? I think it certainly is transforming me and I think it could transform us as a body of people. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, or any device that links you to a Bible, then uh, pick it up now and have a look at Mark chapter 2. It's going to come up on the screen as well. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. 
some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, man, uh, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So with a, with a story, I'm a visual learner when it comes to kind of imagining things. I like to try and close my eyes and breathe in a story like this and try and imagine what it was like and what happened on that day. Something you need to know, which you may not have realized, is a, there's a strong possibility that this is Jesus' own house that this happens in. So he's come home, and th this is his house, which may explain that the first thing he does is forgive him because he's basically just dug a massive hole in his roof. So um, this is Jesus' own home, we think. And the other thing to know is that in Capernaum, people lived in these small buildings. They were one story, and they were large families that lived inside, and they would have one set of stairs that led up the outside of that building to get to the roof. Because they were so big, the families, people would often sleep or work on the roofs as well. So you needed easy access to the roof. So it's a one-story house with a steep set of stairs going up the outside. And the roofs were made of mud and branches and uh, kind of compacted stuff and some small <coughs> slates and wood beams that were laid all across each other to form this roof, which is why the friends in the story literally had to dig up the roof. They didn't have power tools. They basically, this was like uh, an organic roof, if you like, but it would have been pretty sturdy stuff. Bear in mind, people used to sleep and work in numbers on the roofs. The roofs were sturdy and secure. This was not just like a, a sheet that you would pull back. This is a big, fat roof that is well established there. So when I'm picturing this story and what happened, there's loads of unanswered questions for me. There are questions such as, who are these men even? Like, who are the relation, what's the relationship between them and the man on the stretcher? Like, were they relatives? Were they good friends? Like, I've got to believe that they must have been pretty good friends to have gone to the trouble that they did to get him to Jesus in the way they did. The other questions I have is how far had they come? Were they in the next street or had they carried this man for many, many streets to get him to Jesus? And we don't know the answer to that. But there are some things we definitely know. If you have ever tried to lift anybody who does not have control of their limbs, it is hard work. It is very, very hard work. Someone is like a dead weight, if you like. So what we do know is carrying a man on a stretcher would have been hard work. The other thing that we know is that carrying that stretcher up a steep set of stairs would have been really hard work. 
So this is one set of stairs going up to a roof. There's no like little bits in the middle where you can stop for a breather halfway down, like we did with our fridge this week as we carried it down from our bedroom. Glorious moment. Um, so basically, it's really hard work carrying someone up a set of stairs. Is hard work. Digging through a roof without tools, effectively, we don't know what they used, but they wouldn't have had the measure of tools that we have today. Is really hard work. These friends. For me, are the heroes of this story by a mile. These friends had this guy on a stretcher. They got there. They saw they couldn't get to Jesus, and they kept going. They got him up to the roof, and then they kept going and they dug and they dug and they dug just to give this man a chance to get to Jesus. That, in and of itself, I find very challenging. <laughs> And very powerful. And the thing we learn from this story is this: the friends loved this man enough to carry him somewhere where he couldn't go by himself. That man had no other way to get to Jesus, but for his friends' determination and grit and persistence to get him to Jesus. And they were getting him to him because they wanted him to have a chance to encounter Jesus and be restored in a way that they couldn't have done. And I think we are invited to do the same. I think we are invited to get down in the dirt sometimes and to dig and to dig and to dig to make a way for people to get in front of Jesus when they can't get there for themselves for whatever reason. Because you, you've got to think, right? The story would have read very differently and much shorter in the Bible if the friends had arrived with the, the stretcher and seen the crowds and seen they couldn't get in and all looked at each other and gone, "It's not going to work, is it? It's a shame." You know, it could have happened so easily. Could have happened that they turned up outside that house and were like, "Oh, the plan was to get him to Jesus. Now we can't." Do you know what though? Didn't we do a great job for getting him here in the first place? Uncomfortable, right? Because I think about myself in these situations, and I think I sometimes applaud myself unknowingly for doing a good job at getting so far. I'm like, but what was really great is, you know, when I when I felt I should pray for that person, but you know what, I didn't. But I really listened. I really listened well. Well done, me. I listened really well. You know, and I'm criticizing myself here. So if that also fits as a cap, you can wear that cap for yourself. But you know, that could have happened. That these friends turned up, and it was just too hard. It just was going to cost them too much. It was just going to be too difficult. It was really hot, probably, and they would have been tired from carrying him. And then, you know, once you got up to the roof and saw it, you'd probably thought, Nah, you know, what a shame. We'll take him home. Maybe another day. But they didn't. They got on their knees. And they dug through the roof, and you know they had no guarantee that Jesus would heal that man. They didn't know that for sure; they just knew that he might, and that was enough for them. That maybe, 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 just maybe, was enough for them, without knowing the outcome, that they would go to all that trouble just to put him in front of Jesus. I find that really challenging. You know, I meet people. All the time, who need a miracle, and I'm sure you do. I meet people all the time that need financial miracles, relationship miracles, health miracles. Even this week, you know, so many people I meet that are in just desperate situations and they need a miracle. 
But for me, the obstacles that stop me carrying them to Jesus don't generally involve me doing something physical like digging a hole in a roof. That's, you know, generally not what happens. The obstacles that stop me look more like fear. They look more like pride. Being really honest, they look more like cynicism some of the time. There's so many things that stop me carrying people to Jesus because it's my stuff that gets in the way. I have all of this, like, you would never want to be inside my head, like, ever. Like, I have all of this dialogue that's like, what if it's weird? What if they think I'm weird? What if it doesn't work? Like, what if they don't like me anymore? What if they don't want to be my friend? What if this is one of those terrible moments where it's just so awkward that no one knows what to say and then we both walk away and I wish I hadn't started in the first place? Or, you know, what, what if this just doesn't work in general? What if God's not real? What if blah, 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 blah? Like, yeah, don't panic. I am the pastor of the church. I do believe God is real. But in those moments, you can have a whole load of dialogue running around your head. And that's just me being honest, you know. Like, in those moments of total fear and panic, where I'm like, just walk away, put the stretcher down and walk away. <laughs> that is the kind of stuff that goes on in my head. And I feel like God is starting to give me a bit more revelation about how to overcome this. And one of the, the things that where it started was where we had Mark Marks come uh, over from Causeway Coast. He's the guy that has launched a ministry called Healing on the Streets. He came over back before Easter and did some training for us. And this man has an, a global healing ministry, for want of a better word. He goes around the whole world teaching people how to pray for the sick. And this man, if you want to hear a storyteller, he has got hundreds of stories of incredible things. People coming back from the dead, people with limbs growing, blind eyes opening, deaf ears, you know, fertility, like so many stories. So we pick him up from the airport, and Chris and I had the chance to take him and his wife for lunch before he started his official business with Asher Vineyard. And we took him out, and I took this moment to have a little vulnerable moment with him over lunch. And I said, OK, so before we get in front of everyone from Asher Vineyard, I have a little confession to make. Like, I know that I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm about to walk into this room where you're going to train everyone up. And I would love to say, that I am so excited and I feel like I've got this down and I know what I'm doing and I'm going to pray for people and amazing things are going to happen. But how I actually feel is totally terrified. I feel like I haven't had enough experience of prayer in my life working to really hold on to that in this moment. And to be honest, Mark, I'm wondering if I should not come. Because actually... I feel like, as the pastor of the church, if I turn up with my stuff, if I turn up with my cynicism and my fear and my pride and everything else, spiritually, that could affect the whole of healing on the streets for Ashford. And then what if Ashford is, like, ruined? Because, yeah, we've got the neurotic thing. Poor Chris, right? Pray for Chris. So, so then I'm sat, and he was so calm and just sat smiling. And I was like, and then I just started thinking, like, what if... Healing on the streets in Ashford was launched and not one person got healed and it was because of my cynicism and like my issues and like that would be terrible and he, and he just smiled at me. Um, and then he reminded me of something he'd written in his book which I've read and is really good and, and I had lots of questions for him based on what he'd written and he said this in the book. He'd gone through a stage in his life where he prayed for a child with leukemia and that child had died. This was very, very early on in him experimenting with praying for people. And he said this. He said to God, if I have to pray for any more children where the parents are coming to me and this is their only hope 
and I'm trying to give them hope in Jesus, I can't bear the pain that if they're not healed when the pain if they're not healed when I pray. And if I have to pray for another child that's not healed, then I don't think I want to pray for another sick child ever again. And not just that, I think I'm going to quit praying for anybody because it's just too painful. So this is Mark Marks, who leads Healing on the Streets internationally around the world. He has amazing experience. This is what started that adventure for him, was a desperate, desperate prayer where he said to God, I don't think I can do this because the pain and disappointment is too much and I'm not sure I can do this anymore. And I asked him over lunch that day, after my little <laughs> moment, I asked him and I said, I read that in your book. What changed? What moved you from, I don't think I can ever do this again, to you doing this full time, all the time, and equipping other people? And his answer was very simple. And he said, your job is to just keep doing it anyway, even if you never, ever see one person healed. Even if, Nick, you prayed for 100 people and not one of them got well, so what? Make a decision from now until the day you die that you're just going to keep doing it anyway. And you know what? Love the person in front of you enough that even if there's the tiniest chance you might see a change, you love them enough that you are going to pray anyway, even if you never see anything change. He said, that's what I did. He said, I just made that decision for the rest of my life I'm going to keep doing it anyway. I'm going to basically get through the roof of disappointment and pain and everything else, and I'm going to get on my hands and knees, and I'm going to dig my way through anyway. He said, it's very simple. That's all you do. He said, the pressure for results is off. It's not up to you to perform the miracle. All you need to do is get in the dirt and keep going and keep going. And when you feel disappointed, you go again. And when you feel pain over it, you go again. He said, that's what I did. And that was transformational for me because suddenly like this pressure to see results lifted and I thought, I think I can do that. I think that's the thing I can do is just keep going. Just pray your best prayer. That's what, you know, he describes in his book. This is how in that conversation with God, he said this. He finished the conversation with God and he said, what I realized was this. The part I had to play was to pray my very best prayer and leave the results to God. That is the prayer that comes from the bottom of our heart, connected to the heart of the one who is being lifted up to God. God is more concerned about the compassion in our hearts towards the person we're praying for than the content of our prayers, even when we get it wrong. God's heart is for us to love the person in front of us and just let that spill over into an act of courage that says, I'm willing to look stupid, I'm willing to be disappointed, because this matters enough that I will take courage and I will pray. And of course, when you have a conversation like that with God, where I listened to Mark and I said, okay, God, I'm in. That is very dangerous. Because then you suddenly am like, I'm, I did my whole life, I am in, I can do this, yes! And then you get faced with opportunities. And then you're like, oh, did I say in? Like, when I say in, I mean, like, maybe in. And, and something happened just a couple of weeks after that, that again has been just so, it's been such an encouragement to me. So um, while the building work's been happening at home, I went and stayed with my mum for a few days, and a friend who I'd lost contact with for about five years had got in touch via Facebook. And she'd said, We'd love to meet, I'd love to meet you. 
And I said, actually, I'm back in Essex, so this is a great time to meet. So uh, we arranged to meet up, and this lady has had an awful few years. Not least, about two years ago, she slipped and she broke her back. And so she's in her 50s, she broke her back, she lives alone, and she ended up in a care home for 18 months because she had no mobility. And basically, she couldn't walk and move for herself, she had to have loads and loads of rehab, and she now is living in a warden-controlled apartment in her early 50s. She's living in a warden-controlled apartment so that they can keep a bit of an eye, and she basically is in constant pain with her back. She can walk to the shops, which is about 10 minutes away, and then come back, and then that's it. And all the time, she's in pain. And I went, and I sat in her flat, and I heard her telling me this, And I had that kind of slightly feeling sick thing, where I was like, oh no, this is that I'm in moment, right? This is that, and I could feel God like, "Uh uh-huh. And I was like, oh. So so I sat there, and she's telling me, and do you know what? That I had, where it says in the Bible, Jesus saw the people and he had compassion on them. That word compassion is like from your gut. That's how it's translated. That's what I felt for my friend. I looked at her and saw her life has been stolen. Her independence has been stolen. She's in pain all the time. And I'm sat there and I'm just looking at her thinking, this is just awful. I don't want this for you. And so I start to kind of psych myself up and say, because she doesn't do God. So, and like, we've known each other for a long time. She definitely doesn't do God. So I was like, so in the end... She said, oh, my daughter's going to pop over to see you. And then I thought, oh, no, this is going to be even weirder if there's someone else here. So I then thought, okay, now I'm on a time lapse because I need to get this done before the daughter arrives. So so at that point, I knew the daughter was coming in five minutes. So, like, I had to up my game. I was like, come on. So it honestly was the most hilarious. I, I just, like, vomited out the words. So what if I just prayed for you? Like, in the middle of a sentence, almost. It was really odd. And, and she did this, and she went, what? And I said, well, you're back. Like, like how if I, I prayed for it? Like, what's the worst that could happen? And she said, well, it couldn't get any worse. And I was like, great, that means it's worth a try then. So, so she, like, she, she did a wry smile at me as if to say, go on then, you weirdo. But she loves me as well. So I went and sat next to her. And I remembered Mark's words in my head where he said, just love her and leave the rest to God. Love her and leave the rest. So I put, I said, can I put my hand on it? She showed me where she'd broken it. And I put my hand on her back and I just started to tell her how much God loved her. I didn't say anything about her back at all because I moved my focus away from the results and onto loving her. So I put my hand on her back and I just said, God, I thank you that you adore this woman. You love her. And you know, through this whole experience with her back, you have never left her side once. You have never left her on her own, that you are coming after her, that you are for her. As I started to say this stuff, she suddenly sat like this and then looked at me and then turned back again. So I just took that as my cue to just keep going. So I then was like, and you just think she's so amazing and you're so proud of her. And, you know, when she wakes up in the morning, you're so pleased she's up because you just want to spend time with her. I hadn't mentioned her back once at this point because I knew I'm moving my focus. I love this woman and I want to see her know she's loved beyond anything else. And then I said, and 
while we're here, if you could just, you know, we just command healing to this back. I speak to this back and say, back come into line, pain go, and like healing and restoration for this back. So she turned around and she said, what did you do? And then I was like, is this like a question like, you're being weird? Or like, is this a like something happened thing? And then she said, Nick, I have heat all through my back. And I don't, I can't explain, like, what did you do? And what was so funny is I was as surprised as she was. Because, <laughs> because I hear all the time of people praying for people and they get hot. That never happens to me, ever. And I'm always so pleased for the other people that get, like, to know that there's something happening because there's a physical thing happening. But I never get that. And so I was like, really? And she said, yeah, she said, I'm so hot, like, all over. Like, what did you do? And I said, do you know what? He just loves you. He just loves you. He's coming for you. That's what's happening. He's coming for you. And she smiled. And then the doorbell rang and the daughter arrived. And so then we just resumed normal positions, like <laughs> nothing weird's happened here. This is all normal. And then we chatted for a few minutes. And then she showed me out to the lift when we went. This was 10, 15 minutes later. And she said, Nick, it is still burning hot. What, what, this is really spooky. That was the word she used. This is really spooky. And I said, do you know what? He loves you. He just wants to show up and show you he loves you in a way that you can't, dis- like, you can't work out another way. And then she just went, huh, like, uh, still not sure about this, but okay. And then I texted her a few days later. and No, in fact, she initiated because she texted and all the text was said, think I'm going to look for a church, don't know where to start. <laughs> And that, for me, in that moment, for me, digging through the roof was taking a deep breath and pushing through the fear and the disappointment and the cynicism and everything else and just saying, I'm going to go after this again and again and again, even if I never see any different. Now, the danger for me is where I did see something and it manifests in such a physical way, I have to remember... (laughs) when I next pray for people, that that might not happen again and it doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Because suddenly if you get some sort of result, you become results focused again. And I really don't want to become results focused. I want to become people focused again. And I will finish by just telling you another thing that Mark said to me on that day that has really helped me. And it is to do... Oh, that is a quote in our house, which is very true in all of this, which is courage is not the absence of fear but rather the judgment that something is more important than fear. It's from the Princess Diaries. I'm sure it was for something more profound originally, but well done, the Princess Diaries. That's, that's my decision every time now where I get a chance to carry someone to Jesus. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the judgment something is more important than fear. So very quickly, I'm going to end with this, which is something that Mark said to me. When I said to him, all week I've been thinking, I really shouldn't do healing on the streets training because, like, Ashford will never see anyone healed and it'll all be my fault in this monologue. And he said, Nick, you should be so encouraged. I was like, did you hear what I just said? And he said, you should be so encouraged. He said, because when discouragement comes, that is an encouragement you're onto the right thing. And I said, what do you mean? And he told a story, which I've heard before, which is from Alan Scott, who's the pastor of Causeway Coast now over in America, about scarecrows. And he says this, when a scarecrow is in a field, farmers do not put scarecrows in fields where there's no crops. What a total waste of time. 
The farmer will only put a scarecrow in a field where the best crops are, because that's what they're trying to protect from the birds. But a scarecrow is totally powerless. It can't do anything. No crow has ever died because it landed on a scarecrow. It's never <laughs> happened. But the fear of the scarecrow is enough that the stupid crows get left, never getting the crop. Because every time they get near the scarecrow, the scarecrow's like, "Oh, I'm really scary," and the scarecrow's like, "Oh, we should not go there. That scarecrow is terrifying. We should definitely not go there." And then they fly away. But a really, really clever crow sees the scarecrow and knows oh, that's where the gold must be. That's where the crop must be. So therefore, I'm going to fly towards the scarecrow because I know if I do, I'm going to get the really good stuff. And Mark said, "This is how it works with the enemy." The devil wants us to think that we are powerless, useless people who have no right trying to pray and see breakthrough for people. And so, when you approach a situation, all that stuff in your head is like, "Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it! Back away! Back away! This is going to be really weird. You're going to look really stupid." He said, "That's a scarecrow, and that means you are onto the right thing. So run at it." Run towards it because no one ever dies. A scarecrow is totally powerless. It's a jumper on a stick. It's literally nothing. It's just a jumper on a stick. And yet, how many crows does it keep away from all the best crops? And it's useless. And do you know what? The enemy is just a jumper on a stick. He is like just useless. He's got all of these tactics he tries to use to keep us away from the good stuff. But you know, we need to see that and just think, I'm going to be encouraged by that stuff because I'm going to run after it anyway. So I would encourage you this week, this month, this year, maybe every week for the rest of your life. What would it look like if you actually loved the people in front of you and carried them into Jesus' presence to let Him do the thing that only He can do? But it requires something of us. It requires courage and love. Looks like something. It is active, and do you know what? I know I joked about it earlier. Listening to someone when they're sad is a really great thing to do, and it does show them what Jesus is like. But the Holy Spirit can do something in that moment that goes beyond what your listening can do. And sometimes we need the courage to act on that. So let's stand, and we're going to pray. I would just encourage you right now to see if you would like to make that. Decision that says I'm going to go after these opportunities anyway. So just close your eyes, just pop your hands out in front of you, hand on your heart. It's just a physical way. It's not magic. It's just a physical way of being able to respond. And if that is you and you want to take courage in this way going forward, then I encourage you just to pray with me. Father, today I choose courage. I'm choosing to pray every time I get the chance. I'm choosing to ignore the scarecrows that come in front of me. I'm choosing to get down on my knees and fight for my friends. I'm choosing to believe that your love is enough to change them. Give me a rise in courage today, and give me more opportunities than I know what to do with. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org, or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week, and know just how loved you are.